Oh, come on. Good morning. Thank you. That's so much better. I love it when I can interact with you just a little bit. I um, am Julie Cox. I'm the children's director here at Chorus Church, soon to be the Awakening Church. But my biggest claim to fame is that I am the mother of, of five, and I have survived. And I want you to know you can too. And of my five, I have four that are living really solidly for the Lord. And that brings me great joy and great pleasure. But it wasn't always easy. And I love being a part of the children's ministry here because our goal is to see the children, not just the adults, be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. When we become the, the awakening church next week, that's our, our, our mission is that we will be that. We will be fully alive in Christ. And I want the boys and girls to be fully alive in Christ as well. And so we've chosen this curriculum, but I don't want to talk just about curriculum. I want to talk to you about what God's word has to say. And we find God's plan for the children in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to have it up on the screen, but I would love it if you would stand and read it with me so that you can remember this. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of our ancestors, promised you. Don't sit down yet. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now you can sit down. So God had this call that he was giving to the children of Israel. He said, you're going into this great promised land, but I have some rules for you to follow if you want to live a long life. Today we call that living the abundant life, living fully alive in Christ. If we want to live fully alive in Christ, God has some things that he wants us to do. And he has some things that he wants the boys and girls to do. And he tells us, as the congregation of his people, hear and do this. And he says, Teach your children and your children's children. And I'm so excited to be able to work with your children because mine are all grown up. And my grandchildren aren't quite big enough yet. And so I get to practice on your kids too. Isn't that great? I love it. But our children are important. I hope that you know how important your children are in what we're doing here at the Awakening Church. Because God has been doing a great work in transforming the lives of the boys and girls in that other building. This curriculum that we're using, I am just so excited because it really challenges them to not just learn Bible stories, but to hear from God. To hear his voice and then to respond to it. And we start out every week from the minute 
they show up. Now, I just want you all to know that church starts at 9 o'clock and 10.30. I don't know if you knew that or not. But at 9 o'clock and 10.30, the children's classes actually start. As soon as they cross over into that room, it starts because their teacher is there ready to welcome them and interact with them. And I have the best volunteers ever. I have such a great crew of people that are helping in children's ministry. They are amazing. They are professional, and they're loving, and they're kind, and they really love these kids, and they really want the kids to love Jesus, and that's the best part. And so that relationship helps them to have that foundation for hearing what God has to say. And then as soon as they walk across that line, we've got something planned. We've got some kind of activity that's planned to engage their heart and their mind so that when they hear the truth of God's word, they're going, oh, yeah, that's why we played that game. Oh, yeah, that's what that craft had to do with. Today, our little tiny twos and threes were finding uh, sheep in in the big bucket of rice because they were talking about the lost sheep and the good shepherd. Those are important things for the children to hear. And so the Bible, the truth of God's word, we call the big God story. And all the way from Genesis to Revelation, God is telling his story and has a plan for you to be a part of that story. And he has a plan for the boys and girls in our program to be a part of that story. Where do you fit in that big God story? Where do your children fit in that big God story? So every week our teachers teach very creative, very um, consecutive lessons. It goes chronologic through the Bible, chronologically through the Bible. And I know not all of the stories are age appropriate for two and three year olds. We don't teach David and Bathsheba to the three year olds, don't worry. But we teach age appropriate lessons for them at their given age. And then we don't just talk to them, but we get them in circles and we discuss what they've heard. In our older group, in second through fifth grade, they break up according to their age level and they actually sit down and talk about what God is teaching them. And Joe loves to tell the story that he was in discussion time with the kids one time. And this had nothing to do with the lessons. But one of the boys said, hey, Mr. Joe, you know that Bible verse that talks about how God can move mountains? Well, I tested him. And I put my sandal over here and I said, God, I believe you can move that sandal. And he didn't. So what's up with that? You know, we've all had those questions, haven't we? But when I was growing up in church, we didn't dare ask those questions. And so I went through my early childhood knowing all the Bible stories, but not knowing how it really impacted my life. And they came to the conclusion that day around the discussion time that the reason the sandal didn't move was because God didn't need it to move. And God is the one who's in charge. And if he wants a sandal to move, he can move a sandal. Now, that wasn't something we taught them. That was something that they discussed among themselves. And so that discussion piece is really important for the boys and girls. But then we don't want to stop there. We want to take it one step further. We want to go to the response. You know, every week Pastor Kerry gives a great message. But if we don't do anything with it, it doesn't really mean anything, does it? God brings us here so we can hear his word, so we can respond to it. And it's the same with the boys and girls. 
And so we prepare activities for them to respond to the truth of God's Word. Now, with the little ones, it might look like a game or a song of celebration. With the older ones, it might be a a specific activity that they're doing. Today, they were jumping into hula hoops. I know that doesn't sound like anything, but it was their response to the truth of God's Word. With the older kids, we always have our rock wall. And you'll see that in the back, in that back corner. I have several of our different response stations. But we always have our rock wall where they give their praises and their thank yous to God for all that he's doing and for all that he's giving them. And the kids take that really seriously. And they're building their monument to God. And then we always have a prayer station. And I want to read to you some of the prayers because the prayers are not just asking for a puppy. The prayers really show the hearts of the kids. Dear Jesus, please help me with school. It is very hard, and I don't know what to do. Also, please help my dad's stress from work go away so he can sleep better and heal his back so he can do more things with me. Dear God, please help my family come closer to you and to be a closer family. God, please forgive me of my sins. Please help me with my self-control. Dear God, I want to learn more about you. Can you help me do that? Amen. Those are the responses I want in my heart. But they're the responses we're seeing in the boys and girls as their lives are being transformed. And they know that not only are those prayer requests being shared with the team that's working with them, but those prayer requests are being shared with the staff and with the elders. And they have seen God answer great prayers. And it's their response to what God is teaching them during that lesson. Sometimes we have specific response stations, and we have a couple of those back there. We have a cross where the children were praying for those that need healing, and they they wrote their prayer request on, um, uh, what's it called, medical tape, and they put it on the cross. And there's the one about forgiveness. One a couple weeks ago was giving my whole heart to God. And I loved this because some of them had some really specific things. But these I wanted to share with you today. God, I'll give you my strength that I have and my specialties and my love. I love you, God. You see, God wants our whole heart, not just part of it. This one says, Lord, I will spread time out to worship you and pray every night at dinner for your love. I won't play as much video games. I love God. What's getting in the way of God having your whole heart? You know, it's kind of convicting when I read their responses sometimes because they really have it. God is really working in their lives. Those are your kids. They're our kids. We're seeing God do some amazing things in their lives. And I want you to know that we're doing this together. As parents, we found in Deuteronomy that you were supposed to talk about it on the way. And you were supposed to impress these truths on your children while you talk and while you walk and while you sit and while you lie. All throughout your day, you have an opportunity to teach the boys and girls. I only have one hour. But together, I think we can be a really dynamite team. 
And so I want to work with you and provide helps and resources. And our curriculum does that. Our curriculum has this great thing. Every week when you pick up your kids, you're handed a Home Front Weekly. How many of you know what a Home Front Weekly is? Everybody's hand should go up. A Home Front Weekly is this great tool for the parents to take home. And it's not a review sheet. You're not reviewing this week's lesson. It's actually helping you to prepare your child for next week's lesson. Because you are the primary spiritual teacher in your family. You are responsible for your children. I just get to come alongside and help. And not only does our curriculum provide the Home Front Weekly, but it also provides the Home Front Monthly. And you can go on Home, uh, home Front Meg. Dot com. There it is. And they will, you can register for it, and they'll send you a monthly email with this mini magazine. Now, it's about 16 to 20 pages, and it is packed full of information. And grandparents, it's not just for the young people. This is for anybody in our church because it has information in there for couples. It's got information for families. It's got information for grandparents. All different kinds of ways that together we can work to see the kids here at the Awakening Church become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And it's something that we do together. It's not something that you as a parent have to do alone or that's totally my responsibility. It's something that we do together. And so the Homefront magazine is there for you to have inspiration. It's to provide you some tools to equip you to do your job. And it's also a good support tool as well. And that's available also as a free app on the iPhone and um, Androids. So make sure you check that out because everybody should have that. It's really a great resource so that we can do our best to help the boys and girls be transformed in Christ. I asked um, Julie to take as much time as she felt needed to bring us together as a body to know that as we step into next week um, and become the Awakening Church, that we understand that God's working not only in this building, but the building next door, and that we're doing this together. And also to acknowledge that uh, we have a huge responsibility as a church to be able to raise up this generation of workers and worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Julie, thanks for that. I'm, I want us to pray for our, our children's ministry, but first I'd like to ask, uh, if you work in children's ministry, would you stand? No. Oh. Or don't get sassy, don't get sassy with me. <laughs> Way. <laughs> All right. That's great. Thank them if you would. And then I'd like to stay standing. I would like to invite the rest of you to consider joining these people who serve together faithfully, right? right. Always more people Always. spreading the joy around. And, uh, I mean, some of those things you read and others I know that are back there just endear us to the hearts of children who have a childlike faith and being able to grow on that. And you will grow, too, as a, a children's worker and supporter of what God's doing. I'm going to invite the rest of us to stand, though, right now. And we're just going to pray. And if you were around somebody who stood or somebody uh, like Cheka, uh, yes, you put your hands on them. And we're just going to pray for God's uh, anointing upon the children's ministry in these days. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the joy it is to see the children love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, especially in today's world, when things are pressed on them at such a young age that are just um, not appropriate. Lord, we ask that we would steward well 
the young years, even all the way down into an early childhood grade, Lord, that we would be able to show them what it means to be your hands and your feet, to show them what it means to be someone who loves you. And Lord, may they come into a relationship with you early on in their life and choose to serve you all the days that they would live. Lord, we thank you for Julie and her team and for Debbie and the team and all the leadership they bring for these who are involved in children's ministry, even for what's going on now in the room next door and those who are serving. Lord, bless us together as a church family in this new awakening era to be able to be your agents of grace and power to bring transformation to families in this valley. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a few moments, turn and greet one another, and then we're going to jump in. Last time I'm going to say it. Couldn't say it in the first service. Welcome to Chorus Church. There. Praise God for that 10-year run. We now become the Awakening Church next week. And I want to tell you, I'm ready! I tell you, the uh, journey that we've been on is uh, especially since Melissa and I came, I know, uh, has been a great ride. And I just have felt God's momentum building and His encouragement and what's ahead of us. Uh, I'm just so excited to step into. And I want to, uh, I want to just, I, I don't know, it's all I, I like the new surroundings. I almost want to bring us all up closer, pack us in. I know several people are gone for spring breaks and that kind of stuff. But I just want to say, huddle up! Let's go! Let's play ball! we got a game that's coming. I'm not talking about the Final Four. I'm talking about the game of being on mission for Christ in this valley and for us to be awake to Him and awake to what He's doing and let's get at it. And here's the game plan. I mean, that's, that's sort of what's going on inside of me. Just want you to know that. Okay. But we'll be you know, appropriate. We'll be dignified, that kind of thing. I, uh, I, I, you know, it's like Julie up here sharing about children's ministry. So, you know, we get to do this. I don't know if you realize the privilege and blessing it is that we get to do this together to be on mission, serving Christ and doing what he's called us to do. We all have great vocations and things we invest our lives in and God uses those and we glorify God through our work. But we get to do this thing called the church. We get to steward the hope of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ and to take it to people who have needs. We get to do this. 
And we should be not excited about it in energy just because the pastor's all jazzed up today. (laughs) There there just needs to be a a deep sense of conviction, of gratitude that we've been invited into the throne room of heaven to participate with Jesus through His Spirit on an ongoing basis. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in religion. I'm not interested in religious institutions for sure. But I am interested in the expansion of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ being worshipped in all of His glory. And we get to do this. And so today, to team up, to have a huddle meeting, I want to call us to a point of consecration. You know what consecration is? It's committing all that we are to God for His service. And so we're going to walk through some consecration. Challenge the day. It's interesting we read that verse out of Deuteronomy. It's talking about when you cross the Jordan. Well, when they crossed the Jordan, when they were getting ready to cross the Jordan, you've got to remember, Moses is dead. Joshua comes on the scene. They've been roaming in the wilderness how many years? Forty years, right? They come up to the east side of the Jordan, and they know the promised land is on the other side. They're getting ready to launch into the promised land. We sort of call this promised land church. I mean, they're ready to launch into the awakening kind of deal. And God speaks to Joshua, and he tells them what he needs to do with the people. And I find one of my favorite verses of the Old Testament, and it's this verse. It's in Joshua, chapter 3, verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do, I like this, amazing things among you. Do you believe that? And I was like, well, what if he doesn't do amazing things? Or what's your definition of amazing things? I don't know what my definition of amazing thing is. That's up to God. But I consecrate myself to God's service. We do this together as a body of people as we step into the Awakening Church next Sunday morning. First official day, all right? And we are going to see God, I believe, over the course of months and Years ahead, if the Lord tarries, do amazing things. Why? Because we have a new name? Because we spanned the building here a little bit? No. But because God wants to work through people who are consecrated to Him and desire to bring Him glory. And so to that end, huddle up. The awakening begins next week. Let's pray. Jesus, take these moments, your words, your examples, your exhortation, and challenge us to consecrate all of who we are to your good plan for these days, months, and then years ahead, if you so bless. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you know what selective auditory attention is? (laughs) You ever heard of that? It predominantly, it predominantly starts to happen in families over the course of time, especially your marriage. And so to demonstrate selective auditory attention, I, I have a cartoon here for you. And here's the wife speaking to the husband, and she says, Go to the store, lay down the mulch, wash and wax the car, get the kids at school, rinse some videos, and finish the rest of the dishes. That's what the wife says to the husband. But what the husband hears... Is this. Go, lay down, and get some rest. Yeah. How many of you have selective hearing? Get that problem? Yep. Predominantly male hands I saw go up. That's true. I'll admit that is one of my issues in life too. And so psychologists, they've studied this and what's going on. It's not that you don't hear 
You're just not listening to particular things. And uh, in particular, they say that the selective uh, listening, selective hearing happens um, as it relates to you. We like to listen to good things of pleasure, but we don't like to listen to the bad things. So if I was to tell my um, my son Levi, Levi, go clean your room and you can have some ice cream. There's a good chance the next thing coming out of his mouth is, when can I have my ice cream? You're like, we're not focused on the ice cream. You clean your room, then we have some ice cream. Oh, because why? You didn't hear the ice, you didn't hear the clean the room thing. You heard the ice cream deal. And I think when it comes to us as believers in Christ to be on mission with God, to be huddled up and let's get at it, we have a critical issue at hand. Two weeks ago, I spoke about the speaking voice. We gave reference to Samuel, little Sammy. Ten years old, 1 Samuel 3. It talks about God coming to speak to Samuel, Lord, Lord, three times. And three times, what did he do? He went to Eli and said, well, what do you want? What do you want? And so we have this. And um, speaking voice is what I gave reference to. And the speaking voice, 1 Samuel 3, the Lord came and stood there calling at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. But what you had with Samuel then was the yielding vessel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. So today, a couple weeks ago, I talked about speaking voice. Bill Malik did a great job last week talking about King Jesus, and that's who goes and runs before us, and who all this is about. We, as a consecrated people, have to be yielding our whole vessel in order to receive that speaking voice. But many times, it doesn't happen because we have selective hearing. Now, this was an audible voice that came to Samuel. But today, as we talked about two weeks ago, God speaks through a still, small voice. He speaks through his scripture. He can speak through circumstances. He can speak through friends. He speaks in different ways. But if we are going to be a people who hear God, it's really critical that we have a yielded vessel in order to hear him. Because if we're not willing to be yielded to him, I don't think we're going to hear. We want the ice cream. But we don't want to clean the room. Really? God? Uh, I don't so if, if we want to be on mission and do well, hearing voice, spirit, and running, uh, good at it, man, then we all we got to all be in. We all got to be in consecrated to the Lord. And that's just my simple challenge to us today because I believe a lot of times churches do not experience the awesome, amazing thing God can do in the tomorrows because they've not consecrated themselves to do whatever. We have our own agenda. Well, God, we want it to look like this. Or we'll, we'll work with this group of people, but maybe not that group of people. Or I might invite this friend, but I wouldn't invite that friend. Right? Well, we have got to come before the Lord in humility and say, Lord, oh, if I have to clean my room, I clean my room. All right? A yielded vessel to a large extent determines if you hear the speaking voice. You do not come to God and go, well, you tell me what you want me to do, and then I'll make a decision. You've been there before? You say, I'll go. Yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And by listening, it means not just hearing noise. It means listening. Now, I want to take us to a passage of Scripture. The most famous conversion in the New Testament, you would probably know it, is from the Apostle Paul. And if you'll turn with me, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. 
And in Acts chapter 9, we find Saul. It was his name before he was named Paul. He was a religious person. All right? He was a religious leader. But he did not believe in Jesus Christ. He was persecuting Christians. He was taking them, putting them in jail. He even stood by when Stephen was stoned in the chapter prior to this. It says this in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there, any, who belonged to the way, what was the way? Who were Christians, followers of Jesus. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And then verse 3 says this, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. In other words, they heard this noise, but they did not have the ability to hear the words that were being spoken. So they were very confused in all this. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple by the name of Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Oh, here's another speaking voice, right? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13. Lord Ananias answered. Wait a second. I'll pause right here. Um, You've got to understand people were scared of Saul. Saul's in town. He's going around and he is taking people with him to put in prison in Jerusalem. If you are a follower of Jesus. So when this voice comes to Ananias concerning Saul, you need to put a little bit of a quiver in him talking here. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, uh, I've, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name. So Ananias is saying to himself, and you want me to go where? You want me to go to see who? You're nuts, Jesus. You're nuts, Jesus. Let's see what happens. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And so begins the biography of the Apostle Paul as it relates to his Christian experience and bringing about a movement in the modern world at that time. The Apostle Paul, he was named Saul. He thought he had a heart for God, but not receptive to all that God had for his people. 
the speaking voice came and a lightning, a blinding light struck him on the road to Damascus as he was ready to haul off a bunch more Christians. And he basically said, I've had enough of this, Paul. Actually, he didn't really say that. If you're reading Galatians, it says Paul acknowledges that he was chosen from birth and he was called in that moment. God had ordained for this man to be the leader of the movement to the Gentiles. And Jesus came in that moment and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking back against me? I have called you. And he finally relinquished. He yielded his vessel and he said, yes, Lord, what would you have me to do? Then there was the other man, Ananias. Here's Ananias just minding his business. God says, I want you to go here and do this kingdom work. Ananias says, yes, I'll go. Scared as he was, but he went. What God's doing today is his speaking voices coming into our lives for us to be on mission for him. And we have to be yielded instruments to say yes. Now, we may not be an Apostle Paul. We may not be hearing the voice of Jesus. We may not be struck blind. All right, It's always used as a grandiose example. I understand that. But God in His own way, I think each of us that are followers of Jesus this morning could give witness to say, God came to me and He has prodded me and He challenged me and He is calling me. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've never come to experience Jesus in your life, I want you to know it doesn't matter. Paul was a pretty bad dude in many ways. God will come and He will call and He will call you if you're willing to be used by Him. Listen to His voice. But to listen to His voice, you don't come with preconditions. Trust me. I've seen it done. I had preconditions in my own life. You've heard me share my testimony sometimes. I said I'd give to God my whole life except two things. My future career choice and my future mate choice. Right? I got that taken care of, God. You don't need that. Because I thought He'd be a... Sending me to be a missionary with someone who didn't, you know, have much life or attractiveness to him. I'll take care of it. God said, no care. That doesn't work. You're right. Yield it. Whatever. And God was faithful in my life, continues to be faithful in my life, and I am not disappointed in everything that he rolls out. Some of it's pretty hard, though. I've got to clean my room. But the ice cream comes eventually. I want you to know whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're on the outside looking in, understanding what would be to have a relationship with Christ. He loves you. He desires to use you. And when you get called into a relationship with Him, He will speak to you. You will respond to Him. You will move out together on mission and in love and encouragement for one another. And that dynamic that starts to happen, it is a sweet experience because it's transcendent. And I want you this morning to know this, and I tuck this back in this whole discussion we've had on missional communities. As we become the awakening church in name, and we continue to press out on the mission that we've been casting for these number of months, as we move forward in this, we have to be listening and hearing. Otherwise, we're going to get misdirected, or we're going to miss out on some of His glory, some of the amazing things He wants to do in our tomorrows. And it's really, really important that we hear God speak to us. I'm challenging today to hear God speak to us requires that we come with a consecrated vessel, a yielded vessel. And that's my challenge to you. And he'll give you specific words. I don't have to worry about, you know, did I say the right thing on Sunday morning, whatever? 
No, I, I want to push you back into his presence. And as I push you back into his presence, he will speak to you his commands. Now, this morning, I'm going to give you some challenges, and I want you to take hold of those as they relate to yielding your life to God. But I want you to know this dynamic of the speaking voice and the yielded soul is so, so vital in the Christian faith. Now, I want to challenge you a little bit theologically on this first. Um, there's always some nice controversies that come up and, uh, in the theology, like the end times, and there's disagreement. Well, you might have disagreement on this, and that's appropriate because I don't think we'll have this one solved till we get to the other side of heaven. But I want us to discuss what it means to be this human vessel. And there's a point of theology debate um, talking about what it means to be this vessel. I have to bring up any examples. I am this vessel, so it's true of me, it's true of you. What are we made of? And so there's two particular views that people uh, have expressed through many, many years, many theologians. There's the trichotomy view and there's the dichotomy view. Don't you like those words? You're going to sound intelligent when you walk out of here today. All right? The trichotomist believes that there are three parts to the vessel. That there is a body, there is a soul, and then there is a spirit. A dichotomist says, no, nope, there's only two parts. There's the body and there's the soul or spirit, whichever way you want to reference it. All right? Now, whichever camp you're in this morning, it doesn't matter. Some of you thought, I've never even thought about that. Why do I even care? All right? Well, if we are going to be yielded vessels... Our whole vessel has to be yielded, and we need to understand all that's going on a part of us. Now, in part, I like the trichotomy view because the aspect of the soul relating to the soul saying it's that soulish part of you, you know, it's sort of your mind, your will, and your emotions. You know, that's a little bit different than your physical body because your body can get sick and not feel well, but yet your mind can still be good, right? And so there's sort of the body, then there's the soul part, but then there's the spirit part. And that's where Jesus really comes, and he abides in the spirit. And, and so a lot of times in my counseling that I do with people, I'll, I'll go to this particular diagram because I'm desiring to see God through his spirit who dwells in our spirit work through our life to correct us and uh, energize us body not only body but mind soul and spirit so i like the trichotomy view but i was taught and i come to believe this over the years that i've done the study of scripture that actually scripture really doesn't teach a three-part vessel it really is a two-part vessel because wherever you see something like, you know, well, hey, body, spirit, and soul, and I can take you to those scriptures, it's really just sort of meaning saying the whole person, body, spirit, and soul, you know, body, soul, and spirit. It's sort of like uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That means like uh, all of you, okay? Because there's other places in scripture that reference body and soul and body and spirit, and they really are meaning the same thing. There is a material part, and there is an immaterial part. Every one of us have this issue going on today. I see the material parts. And some of you did a very nice job getting dressed up today. Very good. I cannot see the immaterial part. The immaterial part is your spirit. It's your soul. What's going on inside, right? Now, the tragedy with the Malaysian airliner, and they believe now they you know, think that it went down in the South uh, Indian Ocean. Uh, they announce what when a plane goes down that there are so many souls on board 239 souls on board those souls still exist even though their bodies are probably done scripture talks about when we 
are ushered into the presence of the Lord, if we're a believer in Him, that we get a new imperishable body. But it's the same soul. You don't have a new soul that's created. I read recently and actually used it at the funeral of my uncle in Phoenix a few weeks ago. You need to uh, reckon with this fact that you do not have a soul. You have a body. You are a soul. There's a difference. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And so when it comes to us being a yielded vessel, we are a yielded vessel beginning with the soul of the spirit and whether it's mind, will, emotions, or the body, everything else is being yielded to God for Him to use. And so if you want to consecrate your whole life to the Lord, we have to begin with the soulish part of us. Alright? Now, souls on board, I'm not sure it gets carried. It goes all the way back to when there used to be like cattle and animals on ships, I guess. And so they said souls on board is those people that really have a soul, right? Or even in the airlines today, now they've taken it. That doesn't mean just the, the passengers. It's the flight crew and the pilots. How many souls are on board, right? It doesn't count the dogs and the cats that are in the cargo bay, right? You know, no more cattle being counted there. Who are the souls on board? Though I did fly southwest this last week, and sometimes I wonder where the cattle stop and the people begin because you're sort of like you're in a cattle call and some of those things. But the aspect of us identifying that every person that's walking has a soul is critical. And it's critical when it comes to this yielded vessel understanding because that's where it begins. You have to internally change. It's a volitional thing. Change your devotion to God and away from self. You're consecrating your soul. Alright? Now, if we take soul in a trichotomous view, that means from there, you're going to continue then to yield your mind and your will and your emotions to God. And then you're going to take your whole physical cavity as to where God goes and uses with it, even though it's sort of decaying, and you're yielding it. Your whole being is what Jesus is calling us to. And the Apostle Paul, on that road to Damascus, I, I think there's part of that whole the reason he blinded him physically, in other words, is that he was letting Paul know that he was totally at the mercy of Jesus. And so when he came out of that and he reckoned upon his calling and, and all was transpiring in his life, he gave himself totally over to God in all dimensions. And we're going to look at three of those dimensions in a little bit. I want to give reference to a couple of verses as it relates to uh, this trichotomy and dichotomy of the human vessel. And uh, these verses, um, I think, help give a little bit further explanation of, of what's helpful for us walking through this. 2 Corinthians says this. 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, we referenced this verse a few weeks ago, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Woo! Powerful stuff there. But we have this treasure, this is the next verse, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Oh yeah, that's true. To show that his all-surpassing power, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So there's sort of a dichotomous view there. In other words, is, is in our hearts, where's the hearts at? Is that the soul? Is that the spirit? Is that the mind? Is it the will? No, 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 it's the immaterial part of you. 
Somewhere in there, we have received the glory of Christ in His presence in our heart. But we have His presence in our immaterial being that's also in this material being that's like jars of clay and it's, you know, sort of broken sometimes. Another verse is this. Romans 6.13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments, and you could replace the word instruments with vessels, of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments or vessel, a vessel of righteousness. It doesn't mean you chop off your arm or your finger, here's a foot, here's my body parts, good luck, God. No, it's referencing your whole being, body, soul, and spirit. And then Romans 12, 1. And this is Paul. He's understanding this. It happened to him personally. He's writing these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your whole being, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yielding our whole human vessel is yielding our body, our soul, our mind, our heart, our will. And I don't know how those nuances help you or hinder you, maybe even this morning. But if you're going to consecrate yourself as a yielded vessel to God, to hear His speaking voice and be on mission with Him, to be a part of an awakening movement, then you're going to have to be sensitive to every angle at which you are challenged in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's coming, and I say this, He's coming after it all. Because He's greedy? No. It doesn't work any other way, really. And it isn't a once-for-all kind of deal. You ever experienced that? You have to keep coming back around to it. Oh, yeah, today... I need to yield my mind. I need to yield this area of my life over to Him again. But that's where it functions at this incredibly supernatural level. As we're consecrated to Him, He will do wonderful, amazing things in our tomorrows. And we need to consecrate ourselves as individuals at this juncture of this church life new, and as a body of people serving together. I, um, in part, in prepping for today, I hesitated to turn to the specifics I'm going to turn to now because part of me just wanted us all just to bunker down in our chairs and pray. Who am I to tell you what's not yielded to God? But by God's grace, maybe as I point out three areas This might help you on your journey. I want you to yield your ambitions. I want you to yield your agenda. And I want you to yield your assets to God. Ambitions. Go back to the ambitions. The ambitions are challenging for us as human beings. Being made in the image of God there are rightful human aspirations. You know what a human aspiration is? I want to accomplish this. I want to succeed here. I want to have excellence in this. We are wired. 
going back to creation, to rule, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. We are wired as human beings to accomplish. And so human aspiration is good. It's healthy. In fact, if you don't have aspirations right now, you're, you're probably in a depressed state of life. Because healthy people have aspirations. It may be career, it may be family-wise, it may be on some you know, particular gifted front that you have. Human aspirations are good. But what happens because of the sinful nature that we have, those human aspirations can tip into selfish ambitions. And selfish ambitions is, is when you start to see what you do and accomplish as your end-all and your worth. And you are trying to succeed for personal reasons. You know, Healthy, healthy competition becomes hellish combativeness. And you start to use and abuse people. Selfish ambition is not the route to go. And you can even have, health, you can have religious selfish ambition. The Apostle Paul, right? Well, I am, you know, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I do all these things. He was out there zealous you know, taking these people away and throwing them in prison because he had ambition for God. Jesus blinds him and says, hey, dude, this isn't good. Your selfish ambition needs to be purified by God. And you move from selfish ambition to holy ambition. And I like this definition of holy ambition by a guy I know, Keith Drury. Holy ambition is the conviction that God has called you to do something and nothing in or under the earth can stop you. It is a holy compulsion driving you to achievement as a matter of obedience, not as a matter of personal success. You see that difference? You are called to have ambition. But if you're going to sanctify your ambition for it to be holy ambition, then this has to do with obedience to God, the speaking voice. It does not have anything to do with your personal success. Because God may call you into some ministry or some life that has no notoriety, that has no wealth, that has no visible worldly success. But if you are being obedient to God and He's called you to do that, then you are being faithful to the holy ambition that He's put within you. So what about your ambition? Is it yielded? Is it consecrated to God? Second is agendas. Now we have all kinds of agendas. If I looked at your schedules uh, on your phones or whatever, you'd look at them and go, well, I never knew I got that. That's a lot of stuff I did this last week. Some of you are anxious to get down here so you can start your next week because you've got a lot of stuff to do, man. Got stuff to go, places to do, people to see, things to make happen, right? Agendas, agendas, agendas. We all have agendas. We have to organize our life. But here's the question. Are your agendas turned over to God? Could He interrupt your nice little tight schedule to go to a man at Judas's house on Straight Street? Are you yielded to Him? This verse out of Jeremiah comes to mind to the people of Israel. And the crossing of the, Red, crossing in of the Red Sea and possessing the promised land. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice. There it is again. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. And you will walk in all the way, all the agendas and schedules which I command you, that it may be well with you.
So we have ambitions. We have agendas. And guess what? The first time in five months, the pastor is going to talk about assets. Now, we have other kinds of assets. We have uh, our giftedness, our experiences, our relationships, our networks. We bring all of our assets to the God. But I'm going to camp here for just a second. Not because, oh, the church wants your money, that kind of thing. No, God wants your heart. And here's the reality. To be fully consecrated to God, He wants your wealth because it's His wealth. It's not yours. All His provisions He's given you. And we rightfully need to steward back to Him all that He has given to us. Now, most of you have probably been around church for a while. The historical biblical standard from Scripture they talk about is the tithe. The word tithe means 10, 10%. And so we're taught, hopefully you've been taught, to tithe to God. And that is true. That would be a, definitely a place to start before God if we're not you know, offering a tithe back to Him in an offering. But the thing is, when you move to the New Testament, and it's the Jesus who strikes you on the road to Damascus, He wants it all, He's going after it all, He's trying to get us to understand that just signing off on a certain percentage isn't it. He may ask you for a certain season not to maybe worry about that percentage. I don't know. But other seasons, he's going to call you to something more. And I like what Randy Alcorn says in a little book he has. If you've never read this book, it's a great book called The Treasure Principle, Discovering the Secret of Joyful Giving. He says that whether or not the tithe is still the minimal measure of those first fruits, I ask myself, Does God expect his new covenant children to give less or more? Jesus raised the spiritual bar. He never lowered it. Your assets, are they consecrated to God? Are you being faithful, not only in the tithe, but whatever he is calling you to give to him? It is never imposed upon us as leaders of the body of Christ to make demands of people. I'm always so grateful about that. But it is imposed upon us, and I have an accountability day coming, to challenge us in discipleship. And one of the bottom lines of discipleship and consecrating and yielding our lives fully to God comes through what we do with our assets. Now with these three, I'm going to give you three particular challenges for what's ahead. What's ahead of us? Well, the Awakening Church. That's next week. And we're going to consecrate ourselves today. For tomorrow, the Lord's going to do amazing things among us. I believe this to be true. Here's what's ahead of us. Next Sunday is being called Opening Sunday for the Awakening Church. We're going to begin a series talking about why the word awakening as it relates to uh, some different dimensions. And we're moving into Easter. We have Palm Sunday on the 13th. We have Good Friday uh, on the 18th. And we have Easter then on the 20th. These are great weeks for us to be on mission together as a body of people serving the kingdom of God. All right. Following Easter, then we have a whole month before summer hits, and we're going to do a series on the conversations with Jesus, Got Questions, where he addresses certain questions. I have an insert in your program to help you give frame up a little bit of what we're doing. And maybe on some of these weeks, there might be people you want to invite or do some other kinds of things, but this is where we're headed for two months. So this thing of, huddle up! Let's get at it. Let's go. It's far up. This is where I've been at for quite a while. In fact, it 
took some time away studying this last week and last weekend. I'm like, all right, how do we do this? What are you, you speaking God to us to move out in, all this kind of thing? And I want you to know that these are weeks I believe God can use in our life as a church, in your life, personally to grow in Him and for those who are far from Him. So these are three things I want you to do for the next two months in April and in May. You with me? The first is intercession. I want you to pray. Oh, yeah, I got you. We'll be praying. Been praying. No, I want you to specify times to pray. And I thought about doing a 24-hour deal. thought about coming back and doing the Tuesday p.m. thing again, the prayer missions. But I decided to do this. I want you to take two 15-minute blocks every week for the next two months to pray for the church and to pray for the valley. That doesn't seem too hard, does it? In fact, hopefully, if you get into that, you're going to be taking more than 15 minutes. But I just want to start right there because I know some of us, oh, yeah, I pray for my food. and just, I really don't spend a lot of time in prayer. And try to isolate not just drive time and other stuff, you know, popcorn prayer. Isolated time, quiet time, in a room, on a walk somewhere, and praying and interceding for God to use this church, use your life, use us as a people. You can pray for the adult service. You can pray for the children's ministry, the students. You can pray for various aspects of, of community life and mission communities. I don't care. You can pray for the valley, people that you know. You can pray for areas that need to be um, reached in this uh, valley. You can pray for uh, individual needs that are, are striking needs within our community. You listen to the speaking voice. Two 15-minute blocks per week. Set the time. Stay true to that time maybe every day. And again, again, this is me not wanting to limit you, but trying to give you some guidance. So intercession, the sec. Second is invitations. Salvations in your extended family of friends. Now, I don't know, this is one of those little cute kind of things I've used my whole life. Do you have a friend? We all need friends. Friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. All right? Work associates, play associates, whatever. You have these networks of contacts. And I want you to begin praying for them. I want you to see them as potential opportunities, not as projects, but to invite into the new life of the church. And Sunday invites, or maybe an invite to your missional community or your oikos and your network, or maybe just to a party at your house or something, let's identify individuals that we can begin uh, really seeing God work in. And maybe you've been praying for them. And I'm not talking about... People that are Christians, I'm not interested in swapping sheep, by the way, with other churches. God's at work through many churches in this valley. There's one true church of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say it that way. But for us, as part of the awakening, we need to be on mission to reach people who are far from Jesus this very hour. Okay? And on the back of your note sheet are these post-it notes. Hopefully you haven't wadded them up or written some other you know, notes. Just pass them to one another. I want you to take these post-it notes. All right? I want you to write three names on this post-it note. All right? Karen, if you need another one, I can give you that one. All right. These, these post-it notes, the three names of people you're praying for and you're looking forward to invite for the next two months. Then I want you to post this on your mirror in your bathroom. So every morning, boom, there it is. Oh, those three people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's church. Oh, yeah. We're in a neat series. Oh, yeah. God's probably working in their life and I need to listen. Yeah. Use this as a reminder. All right, three names on there, and if you need two, you can have two. I thought maybe somebody beside you didn't have one, or maybe um, uh, you needed to put it in two different places, maybe on your refrigerator as well as your mirror, something like that. All right, so invitations. I want you to commit in the month of April and May to intercession, 
two 15-minute periods. I want you to commit to uh, praying for and inviting three friends, all right? And then the last, intercession, invitations, investments. I want to challenge you, not only with a tithe, the historical biblical dollar sign standard there, 10%, all right? but additional offerings. Because when you do come to the New Testament, God just says, hey, I don't get hung up on percentages. I'm going to be speaking into your life how you need to live in a sacrificial manner to give to God. And so you listen to him. And the bottom line for me, and I believe it's the bottom line of the New Testament scriptures, 2 Cor 9-7, each man, each person, each woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's this aspect that you're listening to the speaking voice with a yielded vessel to say, my all's on the altar. I personally believe tithing is a good place to start. And if you've never done that, I challenge you to do it for two months and see what God does. Actually says that in Malachi, I test me in this, to see if I won't pour out a blessing. doesn't mean you'll get wealthy. But the blessing may be that you're living rightly in faith before God. It may be a blessing in reaching others. You know, we had a year-end uh, Christmas offering. And that offering helped us sort of make some ends meet, helped us be on mission a little bit, also helped us do some of the renovations that we're currently in. Here's the bottom line. It takes money to do ministry. And so whenever I talk about money, it's not for the sake of, hey, the church needs your money. That's no, for the sake of God needs your heart. And he has things to accomplish through monetary means to see things happening. And that's definitely true of us in these next two months and looking at the months ahead. So intercessions, investments, invitations, and investments. Three simple ways to commit your human vessel all of your life to the Lord. There may be others. He may tell you different than what these I put out there, but I put them out to you. There's a man by the name of D.L. Moody. Some of you may have heard him. He became one of the greatest evangelists in the United States. His dad was a farmer. Died at the age of 41. There were nine kids in the family. D.L. Moody was four years old. D.L. Moody was sent off to work by his mom just to make ends meet and to feed himself. Ended up moving to Boston area. Was a kid who was called to stay in church, just like our children's ministry talked about this morning. He had a Sunday school teacher that led him to Christ. He had a friend that soon after then told him these words. The friend's name was Henry Varley. He says, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who was fully and wholly consecrated to him. D.L. Moody, he took that and he said, he didn't say that God needed a brilliant man because he was sort of uneducated or an educated man. He said, my friend said that God needs a man. He needs a woman. He says, I aim to be that man. And so he lived his whole life in a consecrated manner, trying to lay his vessel before God. And I'm just challenging you in a simple manner. Are you one of those individuals? Are we that kind of body? Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us 
navigate these days and months in a way that's honoring to you. And Lord, as we worship you in closing this morning, may we be willing to yield our lives afresh to you as you speak to us even through song. Lord, from the inside out, may you change us and may we bring you glory. Lord, as we all arrive next week, whether at 9 or 10.30, may we come with a spirit of expectation for you to bring a fresh awakening in our hearts and lives. For Lord, we want to see you do amazing things in our tomorrows. In your name we pray.